with the surgery, you open up the thoracic cavity for part of the surgery. And during that part, right in the middle of surgery, the breathing tube came out. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Health Careers with Dr. Martin, a podcast show that pulls back the curtain on what a career in health and wellness is really like. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Martin. Happy New Year. It is 2021. We have a whole bunch of awesome interviews lined up this year and guest interviews and panelists. And I'm just very excited that we're going to start this fresh new year, 2021, and leave 2020 in the review mirror. But I'm excited that we're going to start with this fresh new session with probably the best guest ever. Right? Right, Jessica, my wife? Yeah. Myself, myself. <laughs> so in the last week's episode, my wife was interviewed for her career as a pediatric dentist and kind of like an author and writer of, of a book. But this session, to start off 2021, it will be myself talking about my career. And my wife is going to interview me. I was thinking, oh, maybe do it where I would talk about myself, but I just didn't want to. We didn't think that was a good idea, right, hon? That was just kind of not not my style, at least not now. So anyway, my wife has a question that I usually go through, and who knows what else she might ask. (laughs) She's shaking her head. All right. So without further ado, honey, I'm going to let you take the stage and interview me and my career as a health professional. Hi. How are you? Uh, Happy New Year, everyone. So I have the privilege of now putting him in the oh, hot seat. Oh, that's right. Like that. There are questions that you normally ask. So now we're going to turn the table to you. A quick bio in chronological order and highlights you think are the most important. So for me, my background is uh, born and raised in Hawaii. I went to college in St. Louis at Washington University. Then I got my medical degree at University of Hawaii in Honolulu. After that, I thought I was going to be a urologist, actually. So I did a one-year internship in surgery at University of Colorado in Denver. And then I found myself doing anesthesia at NYU Medical Center. And that was followed by a one-year pediatric anesthesia fellowship at Johns Hopkins University. After that, I was at Mount Sinai Hospital for just over a decade as one of their pediatric anesthesiologists and left to go into private practice in 2016. And that's what I've been doing, doing uh, pediatric dental sedations and plastic surgery anesthesia. That's my my new niche. And of course, now being a podcaster, I guess. Wow, that's a lot going on in four years. Good for you. So now can you tell us a little bit about your job title and what do you do? You have like three different jobs. (laughs) Well, I mean, as my career, I'm a board certified anesthesiologist. I'm also a board-certified pediatric anesthesiologist. As a healthcare professional, what I do is I provide anesthesia to patients that need a procedure done or surgery done for them. And I I do it with a combination of medications and using different equipment and supplies. We deal with anatomy, physiology, biology, pharmacology. That's basically what we do and taking care of patients in a perioperative period. I'm very fortunate to see what you do, and I know a lot of your colleagues. You're an amazing anesthesiologist. How do you help people? Give an example. 
What I do by providing anesthesia in different scenarios, over the years, I've done emergency surgeries on children. Maybe they had a foreign body they swallowed and it's stuck in their throat. I've also taken, uh, done cases with kids who have tonsillectomies and adenoidectomies. So you provide anesthesia so that they're unconscious and comfortable both before, during, and after that procedure. I've also taken care of adults where maybe they have weight loss surgery. And so we provide anesthesia to keep them safe and provide what we call airway management so to make sure they get enough oxygen and help with their uh, temperature management, their blood pressure control and heart rate control as well. A lot of different factors, but uh, I guess that's general overview of some of the stuff I've gotten to do over the years. What is the best part of your profession? Getting people safely through anesthesia when it can be very nerve-wracking, anxiety-provoking, and depending on the situation, sometimes dangerous. What is the least favorite part of your profession? For me, sometimes it can be a, a little slow. Things can get a little monotonous. And so that, uh, in terms of uh, being in the room, and, and especially when things are, are going really smoothly, sometimes it can be a little monotonous, which is sometimes a good thing. But that's the least favorite part, I think, or part of the least favorite parts of my job. What are the misconceptions people have about your profession? Maybe one of them is that they have no personality, these anesthesiologists, but <laughs> yours truly oh <laughs> definitely does. <laughs> Tell me what you do on a day-to-day basis or your profession. As a professional no, anesthesiologist, I can tell you a little bit before what was academics was like and what the private practice is like. So academics before you get into the hospital, say 7.15, 7.30, you could be working with residents if you're in an academic setting or working by yourself. And either way, you're there about 7.15, 7.30. Cases start at 8 o'clock. So it gives you enough time to get ready, see patients, see the patient that you'll be taking care of. Interview them because that's the first time you will be seeing them and review their history, make sure there's no issues. Then when uh, all the appropriate paperwork and the other and the surgeon showed up and the nursing team has seen the patient, we escort the patient to the room. We often place an IV and uh, other monitors and we initiate the anesthesia, what we often call as the induction. After that, you tailor the anesthesia to the patient at the right moment and get them safely through the surgery. And based on your assignment that day from the clinical coordinator, you could do one case a day that could last many hours, or you could do sometimes 10 cases a day. It depends on where you're often assigned or what cases you're supposed to be doing that day. And usually the day could end anywhere from four, five, six o'clock in the evening, plus or minus an hour. So it could go up to seven, sometimes end at three. Every day can be variable. It depends on your caseload of that day and where you've been assigned. Now with me in private practice, I basically can arrive at the office as early as 6.30, depending on which location I'm at. Again, I could take care of one patient, could be four patients a day, and the same principles, provide an IV and anesthetize the patient uh, with appropriate medications tailored to their underlying health issues. Uh, In private practice, we tend to be much more hands-on with the patient. So we Often we'll call the patients the night before, if not several days beforehand, uh, so that they really have a much more intimate understanding of of who their anesthesia personnel is, which is different than academics, where sometimes you really don't see your, your anesthesiologist until literally minutes before they start the procedure. 
So what misconception did people have about your career? Well, I know we talked about the first, the one I mentioned before, which was about how people think that the no personality, obviously I have debunked that misconception, but I think a lot of other people believe that anesthesia can be very boring. Yes, there's some mundane parts of it. I think like many professions, but there's some definitely parts where it's very exciting, very exhilarating, very dramatic. For example, you know, when I was a, uh, I was at Mount Sinai doing a pediatric case, I took care, I was taking care of a young, very young neonate who had this disease called tracheoesophageal fistulum. And this child had surgery at about a week old. And so maybe weighed about three to four pounds. It was very stressful, but it even got more stressful because with this surgery, you open up the thoracic cavity for part of the surgery. And during that part, right in the middle of surgery, the breathing tube came out. And uh, I got to tell you, it was, (laughs) I, um, as they say, you kind of grow some gray hairs that day, but I was, uh, fortunately was there present and right at the head of the patient, small patient, and was able to successfully put the breathing tube in in the patient laying on his side. That's not easy, uh, but it was just fortunate that I had the appropriate training and, and, and good fortune to get us through that situation and got that breathing tube in quickly because with young children that young, their oxygen level will drop precipitously within seconds. And so that's some of the drama. There's other periods where I remember, I don't know if you remember this, Jess, but I was. I was remember that other case that you yeah, just spoke about. Yeah, I remember. Because the surgeon came up to me and was, it was like you just won, like you beat up Rocky and, you know what I mean, Apollo. At the same time, was like, oh. oh my God, you know what your husband did? I'm like, what did he do? And they said, oh, he was amazing. I remember that because I was in the OR also and I was waiting in the PACU. You know, I was recovering yeah. my patient as well. So I remember, and I well, know who, which surgeon it was yeah, that actually I, that you were working with. Very fortunate. And there was another time where it was like two o'clock in the morning. I got paged, ran home from home, ran to the hospital. I don't know if you remember this. And this patient, this two-year-old kid had a, was getting a craniotomy done, had fallen and had Can to open you, up um, his explain? brain. A craniotomy is when they open up the cranium, the head, a certain location where they think there might be some bleeding. And this kid had some bleeding going on in, in his brain. And it was very tenuous. The child's blood pressure was going very low. We give medications, make it go up and it could drop down. And the kid ended up getting a bunch of blood transfusions. And this is very early in the morning. And fortunately, I had a great resident. I still remember the resident, Dr. Menachem Wiener. I think he's um, I think he's still at Mount Sinai. Great resident. And we got that kid safely through that case, thank God. But that was a very scary period. And we also had some other team members that were helping out. But he and I were the main people assigned to that case. But also, there's other cases where we, you know, you do, you do one surgery. It lasts a long time. Maybe a laparoscopic um, a hernia and you know in, on an adult well they put these you, you put is? these little um these little what we call trocars or or sharp instruments that go into the the abdominal area and they insufflate air in and around the bowel and the other parts of the abdomen so that they can see the inside of the abdomen without having to make a big incision so anyway, the, the point is sometimes these procedures can be long and and not very exciting. And 
you're still watching the patient, watching them the whole time, every monitoring and watching them carefully. And that's fine. Sometimes you want those periods where it's very relaxed and a very controlled uh, situation. And as they say, one analogy with anesthesia, it's like flying a plane. It's the, the takeoff and landing can be very dramatic and tense. There may be some periods where there's some turbulence, but for the most part, 98% of the time, it's a smooth flight. I'm not sure if that's the best analogy, but that's the one I can think of right now. So that's some of what I uh, what I do as an anesthesiologist, both adult and pediatrics. Sounds very interesting, actually. And I see you more or less as the non-anesthesiologist at home. So I'm listening to you and I'm like, wow, what an exciting job. <laughs> that's what I'm thinking. It can be. Yeah. <laughs> what would you say is the most rewarding part of your job and your least favorite part of your job? The most rewarding part, I guess we can go into more detail. The most rewarding part is is kind of getting through patients safely through these procedures. No matter whether it's a liver transplant or a foreign body that a young four-year-old child swallowed and it went down her trachea inappropriately, or it could be, you know, a standard colonoscopy, which, you know, is, is pretty straightforward for the most part. That rewarding part is just getting patients through that successfully and patients having no complaints afterwards, just saying, thank you for the anesthesia, did fantastic. That's, a, that's good. That means you, you perfected a skill and you're getting them through it with minimal or no side effects. The least rewarding part, sometimes not being recognized, not being recognized for the work you're doing. And that's just part and parcel with what we do because a lot of times people do not know their anesthesiologist until minutes before the procedure. Even if they do, they often don't see the anesthesiologist afterwards. And, and that's kind of our profession is to get people through these periods that can be very critical, but with very little recognition from the patients and their family, but recognition from their colleagues, whether it's surgeons or nurses, because they do know who the good ones are, who tends to be uh, on their game and some who maybe are not, or not as, as versed in the skill set, if you will. The people that really appreciate you, for the most part, are the pregnant women. And oh, come on now. Well, you know, those are like, oh my God, you know what a saint my anesthesiologist. Oh, that's true. <laughs> well, they're awake most of the time. That's why. <laughs> you know, well, I should also comment that there's a lot of different things you can do in anesthesia besides doing what we just described, which is just providing anesthesia in the perioperative period. There's different specialties within anesthesia. There's obstetric anesthesia, where they provide anesthesia for patients are pregnant and get them through that with the delivery, keeping their child or newborn safe. There's also pediatric anesthesiologists like myself who take care of young children, sometimes very small and sometimes very old, kids who have autism or special needs. There's cardiothoracic or cardiac anesthesiologists who really do a lot of anesthesia for thoracic and cardiac surgery. Anesthesiologists, uh, neuroanesthesiologists, there's regional and pain management, which you know obviously help people through pain and appropriate they also do regional anesthesia sometimes where they give uh, procedures that are either for surgery or for and or for pain management, both in and out of the hospital. And there's also a lot of anesthesiologists in um, a transplant. There's You can specialize in transplant as well, where you transplant kidneys and liver and lung. Also, there's a lot of anesthesiologists that are doing a lot of administrative roles and leadership roles in the healthcare system and doing a very, very good job of it. And partly because part of being an anesthesiologist is you're used to kind of meeting all these different people in healthcare and knowing how to inter interact with them so well that you 
kind of carry over those skills into um, you know administrative type of role. So anesthesiologists are very well poised and positioned to do well in that facet. So how would you describe your work-life balance? I think it's pretty good. <laughs> There's an acronym that I learned about when I was already an attending at Mount Sinai. A few years in, I was working as an attending. Oh, you did win an attending of the year award during that time. Oh, wow. My wife is just pulling out all the plugs for me. I guess she wants me <laughs> to wash the dishes tonight. <laughs> pretty much, yes. So there's an acronym called Road to Success. And I'm not sure how true this is, but it's an acronym. That R is for radiology. O is ophthalmology. A is anesthesiology and D is dermatology. Now, why do they call it road to success? Because if you choose one of these specialties, you could theoretically do well financially and have also a nice life in terms of have a a work balance where you can actually have a life outside of medicine, but also do something really rewarding in medicine. I can't speak for other specialties, but for myself as anesthesiologist, it's very balanced. Yes, there's some call that you take as a attending anesthesiologist and as a resident even, of course. Uh, I really do think that uh, you know I get time to spend with my family, do things that I enjoy doing like sailing and hang out with the kids. I think it's the work-life balance is actually pretty good with also the excitement and the interest that, that anesthesia itself provides. Do you recommend this career to students? Depends. You know, anesthesia is very procedure-oriented. Uh, is very quick impact, quick results with those students. I really do think it can be very fun and entertaining and, and exhilarating and rewarding, but it's not always meant for everybody. For example, the continuity of care is is not really there. We don't really see patients. We don't have clinics. So if you like to interact with patients on a regular basis while they are awake, <laughs> this is not really the profession for you unless you're going to do something like specializing in pain management, which is a subspecialty of anesthesia. So it's not for everybody. Often we are also hospital-based or in a surgery center. And for some people, that may not suit them. So what do you think your the future outlook is for your profession? Oh, I think it's great. I mean, anesthesia is well-poised, not only as a profession to it's one of the largest professions of all the medical specialties. And as a group, we're very involved uh, politically, administratively, as I mentioned before. It's a career that allows you to grow in many different ways if you want to. I mean, you want to take on administrative roles. You want to take on leadership roles. You want to just be an anesthesiologist and do anesthesia all day. And that's it. That's, you can definitely do that. The need for anesthesiologists are not going to dissipate. I really think that obviously you can go into research as well. I help maybe develop new techniques and new medications. So there's a lot of potential and variety and opportunities within anesthesia. It seems like you uh, love your career, actually. I'm listening to you. A lot of passion. You know, there's no regrets. Not looking back and said, if I could do it again, I should have been that surgeon. Urology. (laughs) My God. Jesus. Imagine that. Oh my God. Imagine I would, that. Those stories that I oh would hear at the dinner table. Yes. Oh my God. All right. So let's let's move on. So how do you describe yourself as a student in high school and in college? Straight A's? I couldn't see uh, no, you with like a B. I really no, I, I had B's, honey. Unfortunately, oh you, my God. you didn't get the straight A student. So I was in orchestra, <laughs> but I also play volleyball and I ran track. So 
you know, I was into music as well, play guitar. So I did a lot of different things. I was well-rounded and, but a little bit nerdy and tried to kind of keep up with the other smart kids. I would say is how I describe myself. Was it the smartest? Definitely had a nice support of friends and family, especially like my dad, just encouraging us and believing in me and my siblings that made us feel like we could achieve things despite whatever grades we got. If you didn't go into anesthesia, what other career would you have chosen? Oh, that's a tough one. Well, I can tell you what I was thinking about doing before anesthesia. When I was in fifth grade, I knew I wanted to be <laughs> I wanted to be a surgeon. A no, that's weird. <laughs> a surgeon. A surgeon is what I thought I wanted to be. And I thought I carried that idea through college. I thought I was gonna be some surgeon. And then I got into medical school. And then all these other ideas start popping in my brain. Oh, why don't you go and be a family practitioner? I thought I was going to be a geriatrician, someone that specializes in geriatrics. And then I thought, oh, maybe I'll do family practice, internal medicine. But I still had this idea of doing surgery. And so urology came on my radar because someone, I did a rotation in it. I was like, really liked it. And I liked the person and the people in it. And... I realized only after I applied and was doing my first year surgery internship at University of Colorado that I didn't like surgery. I I liked the idea of it, but I didn't like living a life as a surgery intern. I didn't like what I was seeing of how some of these surgeons were living their lives. And it was the idea of somebody or the idea of someone else's life. But uh, being a urologist and, and seeing what they're doing, the diseases they were dealing with, I just did, I, I guess on hindsight, wasn't really that interesting to me to do day in, day out. Let's say you didn't do the urology intern or whatever, and you did general surgery. Would you be more interested in that? No, like, because- you look back and say, oh my God, no, you know what I mean? Why I do not regret like, that. I do not. You know, I look yeah. back, as I told you, I remember that surgery internship and I was like, remember- just kind of surveying what surgery was like uh, and how the surgeons were and the surgery chief residents and see what, how they were living life. And I was like, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to live like that. And not to say that everybody was like that, but a lot of them were. Well, you were just talking about the work-life balance. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's going to be very different because you're kind of married to that 24 seven, you know, you had to follow a, up with your patients. Well, nowadays it may be a little different, but back then definitely a, a it's a big commitment to to go into surgery. It's definitely a longer training period. It definitely definitely screens out people who are not really destined to be surgeons for the most part. And so, you know, and that's fine. I was very content with it. I would tell you professionally, I was very lost, honey. You know, that first that around springtime when I finally decided I do not want to do surgery. I was thinking. I was thinking about ICU surgery. I was thinking about trauma surgery. I was thinking about all these different specialties of surgery. And I said I'm not. I'm not interested in it. I didn't want to go through that route. And so, professionally, I was very lost, very confused. Someone mentioned anesthesia, and I said, "Okay." So I did like a few days at University of Colorado. They were very nice to let me do that. I was like, "Oh, this is not bad." I got an interview at NYU. They had an open spot, and halfway during the interview, they offered me the position. I'm like, "Okay." And there I was. The come uh, July first, I was at NYU in New York, and um, for me, it was very interesting because 
when I applied for college, when I applied for medical school, even when I was applying for residency for surgery and urology, none of those programs were in New York City. I, I didn't really want to be in the city. I wasn't really a city person. And look uh, at this. That's Here where I we am. met. Married a New York City girl and went to a New York City residency and training and, and, and living here for the last, you know, since 2001 or so. So it's just kind of funny how things worked out. But for me, I was I, mentally, I thought I was going to be something and I turned out to be something different. And also during that first year of anesthesia at NYU, I didn't know exactly if I was going to specialize or not, but I had a really, really great precept. Uh, like a mentor, if you will, or a preceptor, or it's just a role model in terms of how he did anesthesia. His name is Dr. Tom Shibley. And I just thought he was so cool, so awesome in how he did his anesthesia. Just, it's artwork, just a master of it is how I saw it. And I want to be like him. And so that inspired me to become a pediatric anesthesiologist. And the ironic thing is, honey, when I was in medical school, I did not want to do anything with pediatrics. I didn't want, I did not enjoy it. I did not enjoy the rotation. I think that's everybody. I, and as I told you, I didn't want to do anesthesia. I thought I was going to be a surgeon. And here I am an anesthesiologist and a, and a pediatric anesthesiologist. And so it's funny how things work out, but that's how I kind of came about that career choice. What would you do differently? Well, reflecting back, I think some of my guests have said this too, Jess, but I kind of sometimes wish I took a year off. You know, as I told you, I had applied to the Peace Corps during college and also- that's how uh, we bonded, actually. AmeriCorps. I also applied to AmeriCorps. I actually went for an interview for AmeriCorps and got that far. And I kind of wish I kind of of went the next step and, and, and that's assuming I even got in. But I, I think that would have been awesome. I, I think there's so many other programs out there where students can explore that in much more depth. But just to give me that experience of doing something different before you kind of go into the, yeah. you know, the medical career train, you know, that's hard to get off of it. The roller coaster or train, whatever you want to call it. You know, once you get into medical school, then it's internship, then it's residency, then you start yeah, your career stop. and then you buy your house and you get a, you, you meet somebody and have kids. You know, that's not for everybody, but that's often the, trajectory for a lot of people. So I guess that's one thing that I, I wish I would have done a little differently. Nowadays, you know, how we were raised versus how things are now, it's so different. You know, we would encourage that kind of like self-reflection, self-growth versus before where, you know, we both came from Asian family. We come from Asian families and we're both first born. So it's kind of different. You know what I mean? Mm Mm-hmm. For us where, you know, it's just, it's different times. You know, the way we grew up, I mean, we're not, I'm not by any means trying to downplay it, but it's definitely, it was harder, right? It was definitely where we were the ones who had to pave the road because we had younger siblings, Hmm. right? Now, looking back, you know, we say, well, we were, you know, I mean, you and I, I think we connected through the fact that we both wanted to do the Peace Corps, mm-hmm. you know, to help other people yeah. before we went into, you know, four years of dental school, four years of medical school. And we knew that once we got in there, it was just no, we just had to go through, you know what I mean? There yeah. was no like 
let me take a little scenic route here, take a little time off. It was just, it just kept going, going, going. Probably and doable, but bit. very challenging. Yeah. So very challenging doable, to implement. But challenging. Yeah. They would, you would not have as much responsibility if you did it early on. Yeah. But pretty much. That's what we, I think that's what you were trying to say. Rapid fire questions. This is where your listeners get to know more about oh, you. Boy. So we're going to have to just, you know, put a spin on it. I will tell now. you, my wife chose these questions. I did not. Yeah. So. so what's your favorite word? Mm-hmm. God. Go ahead. Belief. Yeah. Belief in yourself, okay. you know, believe in yourself and believe others. What? Belief. I think that's a good All word. Right. Yeah. What accomplishment are you most proud of? Passing my boards of anesthesia. I think for me, that was something I like, oh my God, I finally got here. And that's from, you know, that you dream of getting to that point, whatever that specialty is in college and medical school and then residency. And then you take that final test, you pass. It's a great feeling. So who is the kindest person, you know, aside from me? (laughs) (laughs) That's a tough one. My buddy Rick, huh? Yeah, Dr. Rick Hayashi, who we just, you know, who actually came on my episode just before yours. A good guy. He's yeah, a, just he's a, a great good, guy. kind guy. I guess that's who I first think about. I mean, obviously, I think about family members like my mom and my grandmother, Popo. But Favorite junk food? Cookies and ice cream, hon. Okay. What's for dinner tonight, anyway? Are you cooking? <laughs> I don't know. That's a question <laughs> I'm going to ask you. <laughs> Listen, I'm the one that's asking. Okay? Oh, um, I guess then whatever I order, whatever number <laughs> exactly. I call to order from. This is why we live in New York City. <laughs> What's your favorite car? When I was younger, there's two cars. There's a like a Porsche, two-door Porsche Roadster, or not a Roadster, but like a you know Porsche. And a Pontiac Fiero. For some reason, when I was younger, I thought that was... A really cool car. That's what all the badasses you know drive. Actually, Pontiac, uh, Ferrero. Mm-hmm. What is the one thing you have always wanted to do? I don't want to do it now, but I've thought about doing it for a long time. Skydiving. That'd yeah, be I very know. exhilarating. Oh yeah. And right then, now, then I'm like, I don't know if it's worth it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's like a bucket list thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, bucket list. Cats or dogs? Dogs. Which do you prefer, logic or creativity? Logic. Yeah, that's you. Yeah, that is me. I would be on the other spectrum. I'm more that's pragmatic. That's why we're the yin and the yang. Yeah. So where can the listeners go to reach you or learn more about you? Well, you can, obviously, you're listening to podcasts, but professionally, they have a website called newyorkmedicalanesthesia.com. Also, my Instagram, check it out uh, for this um, podcast. It's Dr. Richard Marn. It's at Dr. Richard Marn. So you can check out some of the posts there. And who knows? I Maybe by the time this uh, episode comes out, maybe um, I'll be doing some other things, uh, social media stuff like TikTok. We'll see. Oh my God, that <laughs> but yeah, that's where you can uh, get a hold of me and reach out to me. But anyway, this is 2021. We got Yay. through 2020. So, so happy about that. Just off to hopefully a, a much better start from many facets of our life. Well, don't you agree, hon? I mean, just oh, yeah. 2020 was just such a curveball. Just a but weird But I think it year. taught us to kind of reset, put things into perspective. Yeah. You know, for me, I, things always happen for a reason and there's a purpose for things, you know, even if it's really terrible things. 
you know, looking back, you know, at least for us, we utilize the time and, you know, I mean, just a lot of things to be grateful for. You know what I mean? Just we have amazing people that we surrounded by. Our neighbors are amazing. Yeah, we have a good you know, support group, is which amazing. is important. Yeah. 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 You know, we've been very lucky, even though we've it's been stressful. You wrote a book. I started this podcast. Our son won a, a sailing competition. Our daughter has written, I got her poem published in a book. You know, we're and very fortunate. Won, yeah, her, her school won the debate. Oh, yeah, they won one. debate. First, That's right. Yeah, first right. place. They've been doing well on the debate, their debate team. So anyway, very lucky. But anyway, for everybody else out there, want to wish you a great start of the year. I hope you stay tuned in to this podcast. I hope to make it better over time. And if you think there's questions that you'd love me to start asking guests or any type of professions you think I should bring on, please email me, DM me through uh, social media. Let me know. Thank you for listening. All right, everybody. That's our show today. Thanks for tuning in. To learn more about today's guests or other past guests, just check out my website, healthcareerswithdrmarn.com or hcwithdrmarn.com. Of course, if you like what you heard on this podcast, then please go to my website, add your name and email to my email list. That way you can get the latest announcements and news as they arise. You can also find me on Instagram at drrichardmarn. That's Dr. Richard Marn. Thank you so much for listening and catch you on the next episode.